This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. And that was, that was one of the reasons behind the name Relish. It's non-gender specific. It's non-relationship specific. It's it's really about embracing life and making the most of the life that you have because it's very short. To kick off 2020, I have an entrepreneur on Hitting the Mark who knows a thing or two about how to build a brand. From co-founding fantasy sports unicorn startup FanDuel to being left with nothing after the company's $465 million acquisition. Today we will dive into Leslie Eccles' brand experiences while chatting about her new startup, Relish. It is a fascinating story with, as you may imagine, plenty of branding insights along the way. Here's my conversation with Leslie. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Hi, Fabian. It's great to be here. Oh, absolutely. Thank, thanks for being here. It goes without saying that it is a huge honor for me to have you on this very brand-centric show. And since this episode is airing right after New Year's, it is also very fitting for some of our listeners who want to improve their relationships this year. But for, for some background, you built FanDuel um, together with your husband into the first billion-dollar sports startup since ESPN. Um, you were the co-founder and you led marketing. And at some point, FanDuel was the biggest ad spender in the world. But today we'll talk about Relish, um, a couples therapy app, your new startup that is in a very different sector. Um, now, it would seem like a strange departure, but FanDuel was not only a perfect unicorn, it also had huge issues, right? Uh, we're, we're talking all the way to widely publicized FBI investigations, right? I mean, this must have been living hell for an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. <laughs> but coupled with you running the company together with your husband, I am sure that the relationship was also put to a test during that time. What Was that the inspiration, the driving force behind um, and, and potentially the beginning of Relish? Yeah, absolutely, Fabian. Uh, we spent almost 10 years building FanDuel from the ground up. And as you rightly said, we went through a lot of um, ups and downs, as any startup does. Um, but uh, come 2015, uh, it became a bit of a, a legal situation where we'd gotten into a competitive battle with DraftKings, our number one competitor. And between us, we spent over half a billion dollars on advertising over just a few months wow. and you know, there's a, there's actually a book being written about the whole story i don't know if you've read it um, oh i i have not but now i will you have okay it's called the billion dollar fantasy uh it's on amazon if you want to download it it was written by a guy from sports illustrated a journalist from sports illustrated and it does a good job at telling that whole story of the ups and downs that we faced while we built FanDuel. And you're, you're really spot on with your observation that, you know, it was a, a tough 10 years. Uh, 
followed by uh, all the founders left the company at the end of 2017. And when we came out of the business, it gave us all time to reflect on what had just happened. It had been 10 years of running almost like a marathon every day. That's really what it felt like, this gigantic effort mm -hmm. over a long period of time. And it gave us a moment to reflect the fall, winter of 2017 on what what is success and what does it mean for us and what have we taken away from those 10 years of, of, of building FanDuel. And for me, the big thing that that period of reflection taught me was the reason that we did this was not to make money. It was not to be a successful entrepreneur in inverted commas. It was really about the journey, the making something that changed the world. That that was really what drove us every day. If if the only reason you were building a company was to be, to be rich someday, that's not enough to get you out of bed every morning. You need to really believe in what you're doing and want to serve your customers day in day out. And that was what that was what really drove us. But what you find when you're going through a battle like we did, and, and by battle I mean, you know, every day turning up and trying to figure out how to build this business. What you discover is that you build these relationships with your co-founders, with your employees, with your team members, with the your suppliers, the agencies you're working with. Um, and, and those relationships are for life. Uh, and, and that was what kept us all sane as we went through all those ups and downs. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned building it with my husband. Um, a lot of people have said to me, wow, I could never work with my husband and certainly couldn't do a startup like like FanDuel. <laughs> how, you know, how did how did that work and how come you're not divorced? Um, and it wasn't easy. Like it, it wasn't all a walk in the park. We had our ups and downs. You know, we're a normal couple. Uh, we've been together for a long time. You know, we've, we've read a lot of self-help books over the years. And what I found was oftentimes they would sit on my bedside table and uh, I just never found the time to to wade through all of these books. And what I, whenever I did eventually manage to pick them up, what I would find is there may be one or two chapters that are relevant to me in my particular situation. And I wondered if there was a way that we could use technology to almost replicate the experience that you would have if you went to a relationship coach or if you went to a therapist where they ask you questions about yourself and you tell the coach 
who you are, you talk about your insecurities or your personality, the challenges that you're facing, what you like to do, what you don't like to do. And that coach develops a really deep understanding of who you are and can help you work through whatever the issues are that you're dealing with at that point in time. And that was the that was the inspiration behind the start of Relish. And you also um, carried the gamification aspect over from FanDuel, right, for, for, for Relish. That's something that seems to be yeah. similar. Yeah, well, I mean, gamification is a funny beast. I right. think... You know, relationships are such an important thing. And I'm very conscious of how precious they are. I, I'm using a little gamification, but you have to be really careful with it because uh, even the best relationships are fragile. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much mm -hmm. to put you off kilter. So we're taking this very responsible approach to relationships, which I'm not sure has been really done before in the technology space. Um, and, you know, obviously with my my background in, in FanDuel and gaming, uh, I have a, a, a good understanding of, of what those mechanics can do, but we have to use it responsibly. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, uh, given, given, given the time that you had um, at FanDuel, um, you know, like building this ginormous, you know, company and then and then basically losing it all overnight in a way um were there some other marketing and branding lessons that you learned over these times that have helped you in building this 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 new you know much leaner brand i don't really think of it that way to be honest with you fabian um when we started building relish about a year and a half ago my first thought was I want this brand to be universal so with FanDuel it was very much uh, US product mm -hmm. it was all about you know fantasy sports doesn't really work outside the US and it was for men 95% of our users were men 25 to 45 And, you know, those, those, were, those were the parameters that we were working in for FanDuel. With Relish, it's so much more universally applicable because relationships are, are everywhere. And when we first started, I thought, you know what, the, the key to this is the female. And the female will sell it into her partner. But what I very quickly discovered was that that's, that's not true at all. We have hmm. 40%, 40% of our subscribers are, are men. And these are not men whose partner has asked them to sign up. These are men who have signed up themselves proactively. Um, so when we started, it was very important to us to be as inclusive as possible with our brand. And... That was that was one of the reasons behind the name Relish. It's non-gender specific. It's non-relationship specific. It's it's really about embracing life and making the most of the life that you have mm -hmm. because it's very short. Really like that. Yeah, and I really I really like like the name. And I'm and, and and I'm wondering. You know, it sounds like 
you were you were adjusting the brand narrative a little bit, right? Um, you know, after after realizing who actually who actually really is 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 signing up, and and that must have been a time of of, of brand discovery, really, for you. You know, to, yes, to, yeah. How how long did this take, or was it a lot of like trial, or or how did you how did you find was, out? We we find out very very quickly, to be honest with you, Fabian. Uh, within within a month of starting, we realized, you know, this is not about the female. This is about uh, uh, all couples. We have uh, a good percentage of non-binary users. We have um, LGBTQI users. Um, we that was really important for us. So we're very careful with you know, when you sign up. For Relish, you are given the opportunity to to say what pronoun you want to use for your partner. We offer mm. he, she, they, you know, whatever whatever you want. So it's all personalized to the relationship that you're in. We make no judgments on uh, you know stereotypical uh, heteronormative couples. Um, we uh, that that was really really important for us from a branding perspective as well. And with with this brand, when did you start to actively invest in branding? Obviously, you've done it before, um, but it seems to me that Relish is all about gaining trust, right? I mean, and, and branding must have been crucial in achieving that. And not branding as in, you know, the logo and the colors. I mean, that too, but but really like the language that you use and and all of that. Like, when did you start to, to invest in that? And how did you do it? I mean, was it more bootstrapped yeah. internally or? Yeah, we did everything internally. Uh, we were we were bootstrapped for the first six to nine months, um, and I think for me, it, it's very easy to overthink branding. Uh, it's really about what emotional response do you want to elicit from not just your users but also people who come across your brand or come across your product. Um, and it really comes down to being authentic and really thinking about what is your customer feeling before they come across your product? What is the experience when they find your product and how do they feel after they've used it? And, you know, thinking about when we, when we started, it, it was relatively easy for me to understand that because, you know, I'm I'm a potential customer of Relish. Mm-hmm. When I think back to FanDuel, I wasn't a potential customer of FanDuel at all. So it was a lot harder to um, understand the consumer angle with, with FanDuel. So that involved a lot more customer interviews and, uh, you know, building that up from scratch. Whereas this time around, it was a lot faster, and we were able to to get that off the ground very quickly. So um, I I really like what you what you just said, and 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 you know, oh, branding can absolutely be a, a, a process of overthinking something that is often very much in front of you, right? Um, which which is which is the customer, or the client, or the member, or who, whoever it is, right? But really, you know, putting yourself and there's this word that is so overused right now in marketing and branding, but it's empathy, right? And uh-huh, in uh-huh. a way, it is all about empathy. It, it's you putting yourself in the shoes 
values of that person. And like you so perfectly said, it's like the before, the in the middle, and the after, right? Of of that interaction mm -hmm. with your with with your brand, and and that's that's really that that is a fantastic you know way of of putting branding because it really is the customer journey because that i mean that experience is your brand um and if if that experience is not i mean we can do everything to to create um to add to that beautiful experience through through colors and and through language and but but there's so much more to it that that that, that mm -hmm. creates that i i really i really like that and on the on the relish uh website um You state, and I'm going to, to, to quote, um, life isn't about money or career or the number of likes we get. Relationships, that's what really matters with our partner, our kids, our parents, friends, and colleagues. How does this brand language and theme affect your company culture? I think it's really interesting, right? Because we, we might have all heard the story of uh, the luggage startup darling yeah. um, Away, um, who I also cited in my latest book. And it, it, it turned out that, that they have a company culture that was an extreme opposite of the actual brand values and the story that it promoted to the outside world. And that was a big story in business. Um, mm -hmm. how, how are you crafting a culture based on that brand mantra of, of positive relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. And when we kicked off with our, our very small team this time last year, we sat down as a company and there were half a dozen of us. And we said, okay, what are our values? And the number one value on our list was do the right thing and for me the most important thing is that we trust each other um i have seen what happens when trust breaks down and it's not pleasant yeah so number one for all of us within relish is we trust each other that we're going to do the right thing for the company, for each other, for our customers, for our investors. And that becomes even more important when you're working remotely. So my product and engineering team is based in Scotland, which is where I'm originally from and where we built Foundio from. And the rest of us are, are here in New York. So when you're working remotely like that, trusting, like something, something can go wrong. Suddenly, uh, I don't know there's a, a release that you've done and something's broken or, sure. you know, users are complaining about something. You have to trust that everyone is working as hard as they can and putting their best effort into things. If you don't, then as we, as we saw in a way, trouble starts to appear and that, And that trust has to come from the, the very top, from the investors all the way down. And I, I, I really believe that we're building a, a, a culture that's reflective of our, of our product. Being kind to each other is really what it comes down to. And uh, I'm, I'm quite proud of what, what we're doing so far. You know, it's, it's one of these things you can't, become complacent you have to right. keep nurturing it day in and day out 
And talking about branding um, <clears throat> and, and, and culture, I mean, to, to me, uh, branding is so secondary to company culture. If, if the company culture is not perfect, then all the branding, as, as we again, you know, saw, saw with that story with Away, um, all, all the branding, you know, doesn't do anything. Um, and it's, you know, it's a challenge that I run into um, when I work with my clients where we identify the values together as a team, you know, meaning, meaning you know, the, the VP team of the company and myself. Um, and then to make sure that those are actually then intrinsically being being um, you know lived up, lived to, up to by yes. everyone, and and it's mm-hmm. and it's it's very very difficult to ensure that because I'm not a consultant that comes uh, comes in right and 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 I do my thing and then I trust that uh, that the founders will then actually you know proactively you know um, yeah. uh, infuse those values. But what are, what are some what are some ways that you learned um, over your uh, Unbelievably amazing entrepreneurial store, uh, entrepreneurial um, you know journey so far that that you feel you you can actually um, instill values you know rather than just uh, okay. define them because you know what yeah. you just said is fantastic right and it, it's all about trust and it's about doing the right thing but how how do you make sure that people really live live up to that? It's it's really about what you do day in and day out and and what you what you see around you if if you know as a ceo if people see me not living up to our values they'll think well that's fine i don't need to live up to them either mm-hmm. so that's number 1 number 2 is if there are people who are clearly not living up to the values then you have that conversation and you have it early and you try to understand why and uh if there is a, a reason for it, then you try to reset the course that, that's happening. But if it's impossible for this person to live up to the values of the company, then you have to have that conversation as well. And you have to have it early and give them a chance to change, you know, reset course. And if it's not possible, then we have to figure that out and 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 move on. Right. Um and 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 it doesn't take much particularly when you're relatively small it doesn't you know it's like one bad apple ruins the whole barrel it's a true saying so um just being cognizant of that culture as being really important to the health of your overall business is uh, a, a huge thing for me Absolutely, I, I I could not agree more. And and I mean, it's it's been it's been proven, you know, over and over and over again. And and when when I I work on values with my clients, I always say this is not this is not just for your internal culture. This is this is to 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 advise potential employees of how what you really stand for, so that they can say yes, I I, I totally believe in these values, and I think that I can actually showcase them. Or if they feel you know, not confident in some of those, um, then maybe it is not the right fit, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, this, and this is so important to find out sooner rather than later, like like you mentioned. Right. I think with a startup, for people who haven't worked in one before, it, it, working in a startup is really a, a journey of discovery about yourself and uh, of about the people that you're working with. And relish is pretty similar to that as well i i feel like our brand is really about holding your hand and taking you on this journey where 
you're going to discover a lot about yourself and you're going to discover a lot about your partner and we're going to be there to support you. And that's what I feel our startup journey with Relish has been so far. It's okay. A lot of, a lot of my team have never worked for an early, early stage startup before. And that's an experience that doesn't necessarily come along often. And it's quite a unique experience. So helping them understand what's normal and, you know, reflecting back to the early days of FanDuel and how difficult it was in the early days and how much harder that was than what we're doing today um, has been an important learning experience for all of us as well. Oh, absolutely. And I I really like that... um that parallel of of these this journey of emotional ups and downs that everyone within a startup goes through not just not just the yeah. entrepreneur and the founder and co-founder um and how this is really so symmetrical to what people go through when when they sign up for relish because they are mm-hmm. in this journey of emotional ups and downs so it is it is kind of interesting how there's this there's this um you know energy between between the company's journey and, yeah. and the journey of those who actually sign up um yeah. Yeah. did you ever go against um you know any of your early customer data and it, because i know you must be a big uh, believer in data given given your background with fanduel um and and did you do a gutsy move where you basically just just you know, you looked at the data and you said, okay, the data says we should go this way, but you did a totally, you know, different, different move solely based on your instinct. Um, especially since this is a very emotional business that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's funny. <laughs> this is not exactly what you're asking, but I'll tell you a funny story. We, uh, we had data about our, our customers and how, um, their level of education. And what we discovered was that our data was telling us um, our users are mainly, uh, that we have a lot of high school dropouts in our in our uh, user set here. And, you know, they've done some college, but they're not overly educated. And so I was talking with my content team and I was saying, we need to really use very simple language, keep everything as simple as we can. And, you know, if there's an opportunity to say uh, obtain, then we should swap and get. How interesting. Uh, you know, just, just keep it as simple as we can to make sure that this is as broadly appealing as possible. And then I did a lot of, I, I'm always talking to customers and, uh, I don't know, a year ago or so, I was on the phone with a professor from a university who was one of our users. And I suddenly thought, hang on, let me just check her profile. And I looked and sure enough, she was a high school dropout in our database. (laughs) Oh my God, that's hilarious. So I got on the phone with my lead engineer and I said, can you just check that we have this data? <laughs> that right? might be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked, he said, oh, flip everything on its head. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, talking about data, right? Um, unbelievable. So, so, yeah, what it what it turned out is, you know, our, our users are actually really well educated and they... <laughs> Uh, also appreciate having very simple activities to do and they enjoy that so you know we've been able to add in a few 
you know, a few more uh, difficult concepts to, to <laughs> grasp. But uh, we've, in the, on the whole, you know, our users liked what we'd done. And so in the whole, we've kept it as simple as we can. And, uh, you know, despite our, our data being upside down for that particular metric, uh, we, we ended up in a good place. No, absolutely, because simplicity is so important for everything, right? So it's kind of great that you had to, uh, under parenthesis, uh, dumb it down from the beginning, and then now you can <laughs> add a layer of sophistication yes. to at least the brand language. Yes. And um, that's, a, that's a great story. So when, when you say that you um, connect a lot with, with, with your users, how do you usually go about that? I mean, a lot of startup founders have that same problem where they're 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 separated from uh, from the audience, just like you were when you were when you were running uh, Fenduel, right? Because you are not the audience, and you. But now it seems like it's so much easier because it's emotional, and you know you can be the the nurturing you know uh, CEO. Mm -hmm. How how do you do that though? Do you just reach out to random um, you know clients and say, hey, I'm here for you, and if you want to chat. Yeah, well, you know, we do it every month or so. We, uh, as a company, decide what what it is we'll be talking to customers about. Um, but I also do customer support. You know, I'm I'm constantly exchanging emails or text messages with users, um, and and it means that I have my finger on the on the pulse of what they're saying. And I think the experience that we had at Fanduel was a really strong grounding for that discipline. We were forced to talk to users. I couldn't just go to my brother or my father or my uncle or cousin or whatever. I had to reach out to people who played fantasy football. I was in Scotland. I'm I'm Scottish. All of my co-founders were from Britain as well. And so we had to take that approach where we advertised on Craigslist or Facebook for people who were into fantasy football. And can I, can I chat to you on the phone for 15 or 20 minutes to try and understand what your pain points are? <laughs> um, so that was a good grounding for just constantly talking to users and understanding um, what they need and how we can improve our product. It is so important, and I hope that uh, that a lot of founders um, learn from that. Um, I, I, I work um, a lot, or I mentor a lot of um, early stage startups, and you know, especially in Silicon Valley, everyone is product, product, feature, feature. And I'm like, look, if you're developing an app, you have to be where these people are. You you can't just sit here, you know, like adding another feature, and you think that's yeah. important. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you if you're developing an app for toddlers, you have to be with toddlers. <laughs> you have to be with their moms and you have to understand that right yeah. um so it's so it's so crucial and i i love that you actually do customer customer support um i know that's not scalable but that idea that if it's ingrained right. now um that mm -hmm. that you keep doing this every now and then i think it is right. it is something that um every fortune 500 um ceo should uh, should should be forced to doing once a month you know? and i think you know besides anything else it's important for the team to see that you're you've rolled your sleeves up and you just you you're getting on with it and, oh absolutely you know it works 360 not, not yeah. precious. no um, absolutely and, and you know we're we're growing pretty quickly at the moment so we're we're always um stretched from a customer support angle and so i'm the first one on you know i'm on the front line just saying don't worry i'm I'm going to step in and, and help out to make sure that we keep up with demand here. 
And we we talked uh, we talked a lot about we talked a lot about you know branding and the deeper meaning of it, which which really is um, you know the narrative and and what you stand for and the feeling. Um, I always like to ask my guests of and and we and, and funny enough, you talked about simplification and bringing everything to that point as clear and as simply as possible. Um, if you could, if you could describe your brand, or if you could use one word to, that, that would be kind of like that overarching word that really, that really describes the DNA of the brand. Um, mm-hmm. What, what would it be? I know I, I give examples like you know Coca Cola wants to be seen, you know, for you know stand for happiness and and Everlane, um, you know, it's all about radical transparency. Um, What's a word? What's a word for, for for relish that you feel would really describe it nicely from the inside and out? That's a great question. I and it may be too early. <laughs> I, I I actually this is something that that was part of the the process behind building relish was this idea of empowerment. So if you think about the our our users before they find relish they are feeling perhaps lost perhaps a little dissatisfied perhaps a little flat perhaps um just not not content with Mm -hmm. what they have and often what will happen in those situations is that feeling of discontentment or dissatisfaction will grow over time and by the time people get to the point where they're willing and able uh, to go to therapy they've left it too late so the idea behind relish is really about an early intervention where we're empowering you as an individual you don't have to rely on bringing your partner along with you if you feel like they're not ready for it we're empowering you as an individual to take this relationship into your own hands and through making changes to the way you show up in the relationship the way you perceive things the way you relate to your partner the way you react to your partner you can make an impact on the relationship so it's that sense of i'm feeling at a loss here is a product and a brand that will empower me to impact change without needing anyone else to be involved if they're unwilling i really like that and i i it's great to understand that that bre- that pre or instead of you know therapy kind of kind of intervention you know and I I love how empowerment yeah. works so well for everyone within the team right uh, talking about building culture that that you you work for an organization and that goes back to what you said in the beginning you you wanted to now build a brand that actually has deeper meaning where you can actually really change people's lives and um, yes. and having empowerment be that that kind of overarching brand DNA that even for the customer is exactly what they need in their life to be yes. to be empowered again to make a change to to be who they want to be or you know to to change accordingly um, I think it's wonderful as, as a fun side note I was just um, 
in Geneva a couple of weeks ago, and I worked with uh, with a client there. Um, and at the very end of our of our one day session, I have this this, this these grueling eight hour sessions. <laughs> and at the very end uh, of that session, we we identified that their brand DNA is also empowerment, and um, and they were so excited about it. And then a couple of days later, they're like, "So how do we translate that into German and in French?" And it is so interesting, Leslie, that that you cannot empowerment is this strange word that works so well in the English language and it's just impossible to translate into so many other languages and um, it, it's kind of amazing right because it feels like it is such an important word <laughs> that uh, we were just completely stunned by that um, but uh, but no that's that's it's it's a it's a great it's a great um, it's a great brand DNA to have um, when when FanDuel was acquired for I believe four hundred sixty five million dollars. Um, you and your husband left empty-handed, which is unbelievable to to me less than to you, I'm sure. But um, you have um, you have experienced pretty much the highest highs and the lowest imaginable lows that an entrepreneur can experience. What is an important piece of brand advice that 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 you have for for founders as as a, as a final takeaway as we slowly come into to, to the end of this today um you must have so much knowledge but what is something that is maybe maybe more brand related that, that you would you would like to share with uh, my listeners well i think it's interesting you talk about the the highest highs and the lowest lows um that's that's certainly certainly been the case and you know, there's there's a lawsuit pending on on all of this, so I can't really go into a lot of detail around it. Um, but for us, when we started uh, the company that became FanDuel, FanDuel was a result of a pivot from a previous company. Um, we wanted to build something impactful. This wasn't some kind of get rich quick scheme this wasn't something we were going to build and flip this was let's do something that's really going to change the world and that's that's what we did that's that's why we focused on the american market that's why we focused on fantasy sports it was an area where there'd been very little disruption to date we saw a lot of potential for it it was and the, and the potential came from creating an entirely new industry that hadn't been there before. And it doesn't happen overnight. It, it's like that old adage, which is sales overnight, brand over time. I think mm. people can get themselves tied in knots thinking about brand and worrying about it and investing thousands of dollars in consultants or uh, creative agencies or, or, or whatever it might be as a, as a young startup, it's, it's a dangerous approach. I think the best advice that I can give is create something that you feel good about in the early days and that you're happy to hang your hat on. And build those sales and build that business and your brand may very well evolve as you discover more about your customers but really focus on being authentic and driving sales and figure out the brand as you go along 
Um, I think that would be my my one piece of advice around branding for startups. And not everybody will agree with me, but that's certainly been my experience to date. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's about creating value first and foremost, right? Um, and then once you create value, you can you can build the brand around it. And it and it again depends on how you define branding. So so I am I am one of those, you know, consultants that comes in very early on. But for me, I don't build the brand, um, you know, solely solely from the visual aspect, because like you said, things are going to pivot, right? And if you give it a name a certain way, and it suddenly, you know, like you realize it's a totally different market, and you know, it doesn't speak to yes. them anymore. But branding, branding more from a strategic point of view. So very often it actually helps um, early stage founders to really define the why behind the brand deeper and to create these values and to create all these. Um, If I see that as part of branding, which I do, I do think it is extremely important for founders to actually give give that brand thinking some time. But I I absolutely agree with you that um, there's there's a lot of money that that should be saved to when you actually really have some some market um, knowledge and, and, and you have sales and you, you know that this is actually going to happen for real and at that point pull the trigger and say okay now let's really create create that brand image around it because we're certain we have right. something good going on right yes and it comes back to that feeling of authenticity Yeah. and like you said if you understand why you're doing it and you understand the value that you're creating for your users that will help you get that thinking right. And the interesting thing, Leslie, is that 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 obviously entrepreneurs know it, you know, in their heart of why they're doing what they're doing, but they never spell it out. <laughs> so it's interesting for me to come in and say, I am talking about therapy. I'm a therapist. I'm literally the brand therapist coming in yeah. and taking yeah. it all out from yeah. you so that your customers actually know what you're so passionate <laughs> about because you're so deep in your product. You can't even think about what drives you anymore. Yeah. So. That's a great analogy. I love it. So, um, I, I know this is, um, you know, we're, we're recording this, um, you know, really a couple of days, um, you know, be, before the holidays, before Christmas. And I, I so appreciate uh, the time. And, and because of that, I also don't want to um, have this go on um, for too long because I know that uh, you have you have things to do. But I do want to I do want to ask you um, listeners who would would like to benefit from from this brand um, from from relish um, what are the first steps that you'd like them to take and and who would be that perfect user of relish like like where would they currently be in in their relationship yeah typically what we see is that you as the sort of ideal relish user you you're at that point in your life where you know this is the person that you are investing in for the long term whether you've been together for for a year five years ten years we even have users who have been together for more than 20 years which is quite unbelievable it's amazing yeah yeah <laughs> um, and it's and it's wonderful in a way too right it's wonderful it's wonderful and and i think that the, th- the common thread that we found we've done a lot of analysis on this and the common thread that we found is these are people who value their relationship they want to invest in their relationship they know how important it is and they're ready to commit to making that investment and it's a time investment it's an effort investment i was talking to somebody yesterday who said, you know, my fiance, they're engaged. My fiance was annoyed with me because 
the restaurant that I booked for our date night was the same one as we'd been to last month and I hadn't put in any effort. And he realized that he should have booked it on Tuesday and not the day of. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's really about knowing how important intentionality is to a successful relationship over the long term. So, you know, relish is not for people who are just, you know, casually dating or, you know, have maybe been together for a month or so. Right. You know, this is people who are serious about, I want this relationship to last for the, for, for the long term. This is, this is the, this is the one, this is the one I want to build in my life with. And whether you have, you know, just got engaged or you have four children, it doesn't really matter what stage of life you're at. It's about that knowledge of how important this relationship is to you and being willing to commit to being intentional about it. So people can uh, go to the app store. They can uh, they can download um, Relish there. I think there's a seven day free trial. You can go to hellorelish.com as well to to find out more and to study a little bit of um, the the really the really whimsical but but also um, you know refined uh, brand brand design and brand language of uh, of of your company, which I very much enjoy. Leslie, thank you so much for making this time again, pre-holidays, um, in all this craze that we have going on in all of our lives right now. I really appreciate your time and, and, and all of your insights that you shared with me and, and our listeners. Thanks, Fabian. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. What a pleasure it was to have Leslie Eccles on this show. Thank you all for listening. Please do rate the show and show your support via patreon.com slash hitting the mark. So we can make this podcast 100% community enabled and sponsor free. That is my goal for this new year. And you get to hop on an hour-long Google Hangout group call with me once a month where I can give you entrepreneurial, brand, and creative advice worth much more than those $15.95 you'd spend to support this programming. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One, and I will see you next time when we once again will be Hitting the Mark.